0: On this episode of the Boag World Show, we're joined by Aaron Walter from Envision to talk about the value design systems can provide to organizations. This season of the podcast is sponsored by Balsamic and Full Story. Hello and welcome to the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag and joining me on this week's show is Marcus Lillington and Aaron Walter. Good to have you on the show, Aaron. Oh, pleasure to be here. It's been a while, isn't it? It has been a while. How are you? I I am really well, actually. I'm very mellow and chilled out. The weekend is almost upon me. You know, it's a good good time last time i spoke to you i think you were still at mailchimp and you've been at envision for ages now haven't you
1: well it uh i guess ages in in technology uh <laughs> time if you count count that about two years at envision a uh, little little break in between there but uh yeah it's
0: been a while since we've seen each other yeah absolutely so uh, how is life at envision you guys are doing so many cool things at the moment i am um, i i've been keeping up with it and it seems like you're you're putting out brilliant free con i mean how do you guys make any money you seem to give away <laughs> so much from the craft <laughs> plug to books to all kinds of stuff so yeah. you're busy
1: uh, we are very busy and uh that's one of the reasons why i enjoy envision is there's just a lot of smart people working really hard on mm. things that you know we feel passionate about that is meaningful we want to try to help uh the design community um, and just design as a discipline in general mm. uh, evolve and uh, march forward in the way that, you know, engineering has done that in the past and um, now design is in its, its, its own kind of power space uh, becoming a really critical part of the, the work that companies are doing mm-hmm. uh, getting strategic mm. advantage and tooling is part of that is, you know, we've been, using other tools uh you know we've been using photographer's tools to make interfaces for years yeah, i mean yeah for goodness sakes uh paul was just saying that he was he had to close out of photoshop and uh you know clearly that's not a tool that's built for for um for what Interface. we do necessarily no. yeah we, no. we've been sort of faking it um so so the work that we're doing at envision feels very meaningful to me personally um, because I have, you know, been involved in product design, led product design teams, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, it's not just the tools part, you know, because you you put a hammer in someone's hand and it doesn't make them uh, a carpenter. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's also the practices we're we're trying to push forward as well, and we see a lot of teams trying to figure out how to do design better, um, how to, you know, basically communicate design out. There are a lot of people problems that, that are involved when design starts to scale. Uh, you mentioned the books at, uh, DesignBetter.co that we've been writing and producing. Uh, we also have a podcast, the design better podcast. Oh, do you? So
0: I didn't know we that. We do.
1: Yeah, we do. Uh, oh. and, and we talk to fascinating, interesting people like, um, Irene, Au at coastal mm. ventures, uh, David Kelly, um, who founded the Stanford D school and, and uh, co-founded IDEO
0: Um, tons of
1: interesting people. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun
0: work. Well, I'm very, what I really like is the, is you kind of hit it at all the different levels. So, so yeah, you provide, um, I mean, obviously there's the envision tool itself, but you provide kind of hands-on user interface tools like uh, the craft plugin and, and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which is great. And then you've also got, kind of the middle layer where you're talking about design systems and and some kind of the, the processes and things that people n- need to put in place but you're also got these this design leadership thing that you've started doing as well That's tell right. us a bit about that that sounds very exciting yeah so i guess
1: a, a little bit of backstory here is that you know because we've got uh, relationships with, uh, millions of designers and, you know, thousands of teams are, are, are using our products. We end up talking to people a lot in Mm. in the design space. Um, and this common theme kept coming up that designers, they found themselves in a leadership position. A lot of times a little underprepared, you know, because they don't actually teach management, (laughs) uh, and, and all these, these key leadership things in, uh, design school. Um, And so people were going to just like incredible lengths like Stanley Wood, who's at uh, Spotify. He took two weeks personal time off, hopped on a plane and flew out to California and met with two dozen companies. Wow. uh, Leaders at two dozen companies on his own dime to try to figure out like, how how are you guys running your team? Uh, Mm. How do you handle leadership things? How do you communicate bigger ideas out to the company? Um, And he just filled up like. Two moleskins on that trip of, wow. of notes. That's that's extreme to go to, to that those lengths. Um, Good Andy, for him. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, Andy Law, who's at Netflix, found himself in a similar position. He is the uh, he manages the mobile team, um, designer, individual contributor, trying to figure out. Uh, you know, I, I think I could step into this leadership thing, but how do I do it? He read a huge stack of books. He talked to a bunch of engineers. He talked to, you know, in leadership positions. He talked to people in other companies. He was trying to figure this out. Uh, so we saw this as a pattern over and over again, and we thought it shouldn't be that hard to try to figure out design leadership. So we've recently launched a new uh, – it's, it's, it's a community that we're just trying to help kickstart is, is the mm. best way to describe it, and that's called the Design Leadership Forum. Uh, you can learn more about it at uh, designleadership.com. Um, and basically, it's it's a group of design leaders who have direct reports. Uh, they're operating at scale, uh, producing products for lots of different types of companies, you know, from Charles Schwab to Google and, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get together and we have these, you know, kind of intimate gatherings, honest conversations about What's most difficult, and uh, those conversations are moderated. So you know y- you're making time to go meet with people, but the conversations mm. are productive. Yeah, uh, and we've had Bob Baxley, who's uh, do you know Bob Baxley by, by the way? I
0: don't know.
1: Awesome, incredible guy. He he was at Apple for eight years, uh, working under Eddie Q and Steve Jobs, mm. and uh, his he led the team that created the uh, the Apple. Uh, online store for the first time. Oh, nice, mm-hmm. right before the iPhone launch. Like uh, the wow. things that he's done in, in his his lifetime are are amazing, um, and he's just got this lucid, down to earth way of drawing people into the conversation. To you know, like getting getting them to ask questions and and share their wisdom. So uh, yeah, these D- Design Leadership Forum events have been uh, great. We're doing a Design Leadership Camp in Hawaii.
0: I was going to say, you've made this all sound very worthy. And, oh, yes, we're, we're going above and beyond. And then, and then you turn around and say, oh, but we're doing it in Hawaii. You I
2: know,
0: mean that, people need we, to recharge their batteries, right? Uh-huh, we need yeah. to
2: go, Paul. We definitely need to go. Oh, Be, being leaders, moment, you know, of, no, of we, design teams. Oh, you're not,
0: are you? I am. I'm not a leader. But also, I don't think – there was a key word that, that Aaron used earlier, which is at scale. I don't mm. think being a leader at Headscape <laughs> counts as at scale. I'm afraid Well, you, you know, don't.
2: I might you know, learn something. I'm sure yeah. you would,
0: but but um, yeah, you don't get to go to Hawaii. You're just no. trying to avoid the snow here, is what you're trying to do. No, no. Uh, I mean, all,
2: all of all of this kind of chat's all very well and good, but I'm just watching the heavy snow coming down outside my mm. window. <laughs> oh, lovely. Well, what's it like
0: in where are you are you new york i can't
1: remember remember. i'm not i'm in athens georgia it's Ah. uh this is the town's known for like rem the b52s and these days it's like drive-by truckers uh (laughs) you know of montreal maybe i don't know maybe you've heard of those guys but uh yeah it's a great it's a great town um, and I've been here for 18 years, and um, Envision's remote, so I can work anywhere.
0: Oh, nice! Mm. That's that's nice to be able to work remotely. Because mm. I mean, you've got family and stuff like that, haven't you? So you know, I do. being yeah. being around them's is great, isn't it?
1: You want you want to hear something crazy, guys? Yeah. Go go on. On. So when I when I worked at Mailchimp, I lived in Athens, and I drove uh, about 60 to 70 miles. I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't know how to translate that in my head to kilometers
0: oh we, do miles. we don't use we do miles in britain okay
1: so so yeah it's like a, an hour and a half drive each way to mailchip oh and God. i calculated that i drove the circumference of the earth six times
0: oh, <laughs> oh no that's it awful. was
1: 272 full days full 24-hour days in the car <gasps> that's you, you shouldn't have calculated that that's probably I know. the most
0: depressing thing you could have done
1: <laughs> it is but i'll tell you what, paul uh you know what i was doing in the car listening to audio books and podcasts i was listening to boag world hey. oh. <laughs> i did i listened to you guys i listened to every episode during during that period so wow Th- thank you both for getting me through
0: well, I don't. Yeah, is it mine? Did it, or did it just make things worse? I mean, it's it's hard to tell, isn't it? Sometimes I loved it. You? I le-
1: I've, I've learned so much from you too. Oh, That's
0: fantastic. I have real trouble believing that uh, your your track record is far more impressive than ours. I tell you. <laughs> But um and so now you're doing your own. Are you are you actually hosting the podcast that uh that uh, you were talking about or is that other people's vision? Yeah, so oh, it's cool. it's it's me and uh my
1: colleague Eli Woolery. He's a a Stanford guy. He teaches uh in the D school and teaches the the capstone uh product design course there.
2: Oh, right.
1: Uh, and so he and I um we we uh do the podcast together and um it's a blast. It's really, you know, I mean as as It's not news to you two, but it's
0: just a great uh, excuse to talk to interesting people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I need to. And you sound like you had some good guests lined up for that. I think I might might have to branch out and steal some of your guests. Oh, all right. Do it. (laughs) They're great. One of the downsides of being over here in little old England is that, you know, I don't necessarily know all of the names of all of these different people you see. Um, because you know it's a different circle of people over here, so it'd be quite interesting to steal some of their, uh, some of your guests and some of the American figures that are um, doing some interesting stuff. So I might. Well, I'm I might in tell I'm in little know. old Athens,
1: Georgia, and I just uh, you know, I just call people. I just get on the phone and talk to people and kind of get to know who's yeah. out there and yeah. uh, look on LinkedIn and. Other people say, "Oh, have you talked to this person?" So uh,
0: I can see the problem. You do research and put effort in.
1: <laughs> that's true. It, I do. I yeah,
0: do. that's never been my strong suit. Really, actually, working <laughs> for a living. <laughs> <laughs> so, how? So, you enjoy working from home after years of mm-hmm. commuting? I do. I, I love it. It's it's uh, it's really
1: magical. You know, it's interesting. This whole like remote culture thing. Mm. Um, We are, I think we're over 500 people at this point at Mm Envision. Wow. And we're in roughly like 28, 29 countries. Um, And people just, you know, they move and they work in lots of different places. Um, It gets a little tricky if you're in Australia and you're working with someone on the East Coast, but uh, we we make it work. And
0: um, so does Envision have no central office at all? None. No central
1: office. Wow. Yeah, we're totally distributed. I I don't think there are too many companies uh, that are as big as we are and as remote. Yeah. Uh, and so mm. I think that Automatic, uh, the, the the folks that bring us WordPress, uh, yeah. they are bigger than us, and there's certainly a lot we can learn from them. but know it's it's great like uh, we have calls with one another and it's and we have the bbc moments where someone's kid comes marching in the background <laughs> oh yeah uh, oh yeah that's and, the best part of it and and, and it's great because you know like yesterday i was uh on a call with a colleague and his daughter was sitting on his lap and um yeah there was one point where i had a call with clark uh y- 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 you probably know clark from envision uh, yeah emails hmm. and clark was sitting Uh, He was talking to me on his phone through Zoom. He was sitting on the floorboards in the back seat of his van. uh, (laughs) And he was calming his one year old who was in his car seat, and they were driving down to Florida to visit family. And it was a productive conversation. And, you know, I saw his father in law, I saw his wife, his son. Like, it's so human. It's so. Mm. And and it's humane. I, Mm. I, I think that's the best way to describe remote work is that you know we're allowed to live our life and uh time shift a bit and connect and get to know each other's pets we see the insides of of people's houses and Mm -hmm. it just you know it connects us I think that's really really cool I think
0: it it can work like that if if you've got the company culture to support it you know Mm, it's gotta you know it's being comfortable that it's okay to have a work call while you're Trying to calm your one-year-old or, you know, or it's okay if your toddler walks in while you're in the middle of a call, but it's not, not every company's like that. And it's it's establishing right. that right kind of culture that makes it acceptable,
2: I think. Yeah, yeah we, that's true. We, we have um, uh, we have quite a lot of client calls, uh, and it's quite it's funny to watch uh, kind of the younger members of our team. I'm thinking of Ian, our developer in particular, who's got two kind of quite loud young girls. They're mm. quite, I don't know five and seven. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly. How they are. And they uh, and you can see him working the mute button when he's when he's on a call. <laughs> it, somebody asks him a question, and there's a delay, and it's like, oh, yeah. it, it, shut up, girls. Uh, yeah, but, but it works, yeah. and that's with clients, and they don't mind. Yeah. You know, no. everyone is great to hear kind of like kids playing around in the background um, i would miss having because we've got a little office that we kind of go into a third of our time and i love going mm. together uh, with the guys two days a week and i'd miss yeah. that a lot but then i guess mm. if you want to be 500 people big um then you know you've got you can't expect everybody to live around one city so
1: it gets to be really hard if you if you're um you know located in one place and mm. real estate parking yeah. uh, I mean that was a big challenge for us at Mailchimp was we just couldn't find a place for all of us to fit mm. and we couldn't find a place for us to park um it, there's a there's a significant lo- logistical challenge as you start to scale
0: and um, also finding good people as well, you know that's right with envision they can they can. Select anyone from anywhere in the world, and that enables you to get the best people, doesn't it?
1: We we do have a a lot of interesting people. Um, You know, our illustrator is in Scotland, and uh, yeah, I mean, people are all over the world. That's
0: uh, just I think that's
1: brilliant.
0: Anyway, let's. Um, th- none of that so far is anything to do with what we're supposed to be talking about today. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the universal problem I have with this podcast. We get interesting people on, and I go off on massive tangents. We're supposed to be talking about design systems, but before we get into that, I just want to quickly mention Full Story, who is um, uh, w- one of our sponsors for this season. Um, Full Story is an amazing session recorder tool. Um, I think it's the best one out there, personally. It's the one that I use all the time, and I'm currently... Running it on my homepage. Um, So, uh, what's great about Full Story is you can integrate it with all kinds of other tools, right? And that has a lot of potential to it. For example, um, UserVoice is something that you might have come across, which is a a tool that allows customers to raise support tickets. So if you integrate something like UserVoice and FullStory together, then you start getting very interesting because every support ticket that you receive has got a link to the user's session. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see the user session. So for what that means is you can do much faster diagnosis. So no more cumbersome back and forth um, trying to work out what it was that they had the problem with. You can actually see it. Um, but also more than that, because full story actually records the whole DOM and the whole experience. Right. Of actually what's going on. you you could debug it. You can bring up, you know, it's got a a console for error recording and you can look and, and developers can pinpoint exactly what went wrong in order to be able to fix it. And then, obviously, as well, you've got those session URLs, which means that you can share those around with your engineering team, other people within your support team, so that they can learn, oh, yeah, this is a a problem and this is how you fix it. If it comes up again, you've got that record there. So, you know, so far this season, we've talked a a lot about how Full Story is great for improving usability and things like that, but it's a really good customer support tool as well so you can uh, sign up for it and get a free month of their pro account for free um which will give you a chance to ch- uh, to really try it out and put it through its tech uh its you know it's um yeah, you know what I mean. Um, but if you get to the end of that um, and you might want to use it at a low level, maybe with some of um, your customer support uh, queries to be able to judge certain ones, you could continue using it for free for, for up to a 1,000 sessions per month. So it's certainly a, a, a very useful tool to have. Just go to fullstory.com forward slash BOAG, B-O-A-G. Okay, so... Design systems. Well, I got, I got to say Full Story is awesome. I got to put oh. in a little plug and, and
1: also tell you something crazy, which was I was present when the idea for Full Story was conceived.
0: Ooh, were you yeah. indeed? Yeah, uh.
1: that, that team uh, used to work out of an office in, inside of MailChimp. <laughs>
0: right.
1: Uh, and it's just genius the way it works, uh, oh. the way it records. And, I mean, you can do things like search for uh, any time a CSS class like The class error shows up, yeah, uh, and then go watch that session. It's just those guys
0: are brilliant. I mean, you know, the trouble I always find whenever I talk about Full Story and I tend to gush about it a lot is they go, people go, oh yeah, we've got a session recorder already. It's no, not like this. Not like this. Yeah, It's totally, uh, it just is mind-blowing how it works. I mean, the, they must be, from a technological point of view, th- there are some smart cookies in that company. That's right. Formal, former Googlers that uh, ah. left and, and got together. So, yeah, it just
1: records the whole DOM of a page uh-huh. and all the deltas. So they capture the DOM and then they look at every delta uh, in, in the DOM as it changes. And then you,
0: they just play it back like a video. Unbelievable, really yeah. is. Anyway, let's let's talk about design systems. Yeah. um Now, the reason I've got you on to talk about design systems is you were the person that I knew within Vision, um, <laughs> and and you guys have written some really great stuff on design systems recently. Now, that wasn't actually you, was it? That was someone else within the company. Is that right?
1: The the book. Um, it was my team that that produce that book and we worked with, um, some really great folks, people like, uh, Gina Ann, um, who, you know, she, she led the team that created Salesforce lightning system. Ah. Uh, also Roy Stanfield from Airbnb, uh, Diana Mounter from GitHub, um, you know, uh, Katie Seiler Miller, who's at Etsy. So they're, they're all people. All the contributors are working on design systems on the front lines in
0: one capacity or another. Excellent. So, I mean, just for, for people listening to this show, and probably for Marcus, let's be honest, can you define hey. – how, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. how would you define design systems? You know, what what is it as far as you're concerned? So design systems, you know uh,
1: – not so long ago, it was just about creating some standardized components. So we mm. could have, uh, you know, we could reduce tech debt by having the same blocks of code, uh, reduce design debt by having the same, you know, button styles, typographic styles, mm. uh, grid structure, form elements, et cetera. Uh, and so that's, you know, some people call it a component library. And then that kind of evolved into something bigger, which, you know, that's, that's what we call a design system. And that contains things like the voice and tone. So how, how we write. Uh, design principles uh, might also have animation. Uh, IBM's design system, for example. I love their examples where they've got, uh, they show the tape, uh, tape reels from the 60s that were uh, data yeah. tapes. Yeah. And, and how they would move with this momentum. And that is how their loader um, animation, <laughs> what it's drawn from, that exact same movement, which is brilliant. It's you know bringing that, that history of here's who we are, here's what we've made, and bringing that into the design today. So a system is deeper. It's more than just the components. It's a, a broader philosophy about the design.
0: So that's how it's different from, say, Brad Frost's atomic design or a pattern library or something like that. It, it, it looks at how you know design in the broadest sense that's right and and i think brad you know brad's atomic design
1: approach is it's a great framework to help us just understand how do we break things down into smaller pieces and then how Mm. do those pieces once they're in their smallest units their their atoms how do we combine them together into something bigger into pages into interaction Mm. uh, products etc
0: so i mean you know Creating a design system—it's it, it, not a trivial undertaking, you know. There's, no, it's not. There's quite a lot of work involved with it. So, I mean, what what value does it bring? If you know, if there are people out here uh, that are listening um, to this who you know know that it's a worthwhile thing to do, maybe they work in you know on a fairly in a fairly large organisation, say, a university or a you know a, a reasonable sized business or whatever else you know that are managing a a, a big big broad range of sites a design system makes a lot of sense but they're going to have to carve out time to produce this which means they're going to have to persuade someone of the value how do you go about doing that what is the value of a design system
1: yeah so there the values are 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 myriad there's a there's a bunch of, of values um and I think the easiest way to visualize that and get a sense for it and, and communicate it to skeptics who may not want to stop the presses on the things that you're making and invest a bunch of time in, in this design system uh, is to do a, a, a UI inventory. So mm. you go through your, your product or your, your set of products. Uh, if, you've, you know, if you're in a big company that's acquired a lot of, of products in other companies and just screenshot every element. Start with buttons. Screenshot every type of button that's, that's in your product line. Screenshot mm. every form element. Screenshot every typographic you know type header. Uh, all, all these different elements. And put those in a big deck. Uh, a, like a keynote deck, PowerPoint deck. And flip through those. And look at all the variation uh, of mm-hmm. all of these elements. It's such a brutal punch-in-the-face way to, to show the cost that you're paying by not having uh, a design system. Because you Mm. can see, think about, okay, how much time would it take someone to create a new product or a new feature if this is the the Lego set they're working with? Mm -hmm. Um, How much time and effort does it take our engineering team to support code for all of these things? How much time does it take for pages uh, to load? How does that influence the customer experience? Uh, How much confusion uh, and and time does our customer support team invest in talking people through how to use the product because it's, it's so inconsistent and confusing. Hmm. Um, And then also think about the, the, the ideas that you have uh, of this is where we want to go this year. This is our roadmap. What we're excited about, how much time will it take you to execute on that? I guarantee if you have a design system executing is going to be a lot faster. So to be able to produce new things faster, reduce tech debt, design debt, reduce customer support volume, um, I mean, the the, the value is very deep, which is why this is the topic that, you know, doesn't matter if you're uh, the the chief design officer. I just had a a call yesterday with uh, Mariah Garrett, who's the, the chief design officer at USAA. She was talking about design systems. Or you're talking to an individual contributor and everybody in between, they're talking about design systems because the value is so concrete and palpable.
0: I mean, and also, I mean, it, it never hurts when you're talking with skeptics to throw around names of organizations that are adopting design systems, you know, mm-hmm. because it adds credibility to it. You mentioned IBM already, mm-hmm. um, who have released their design system. Are there other companies that, that you know, really have got standout design systems that are worth referencing?
1: Shopify has released a really great one in the past yeah. year. Uh, it's called Polaris. Um, And theirs is is great because it's so uh, well fleshed out that it's uh, not only component library, but it's also a a writing style guide, uh, talks about their design philosophy. And they've got, if I remember correctly, five, maybe six locations, um, design studios in in each of those. Mm -hmm. And how do you unify those teams across Mm. all those locations? Mm. You, You use a design system. That's how you do it. Yeah, we thought yeah. BBC, BBC Gel is a
2: that's
1: yes an example. Uh, yep, a they, system. they do have, have a great uh, design system as well, and it's something they're still working on and refining. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a good one as well. Uh, Spotify, not to be confused with Shopify, but Spotify <laughs> has uh, a design system as well called Glue. Um, and I think everybody knows Salesforce Lightning. That's a really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's familiar. Um, at this point, you'd be hard pressed to find too many companies without a design system at all. But they're in various states. So the the first state is usually that they live inside of Sketch or Illustrator, um, and the designers are just sharing a file in Dropbox, which is kind of the yeah, it's pretty clunky clunky way of doing that uh there are a lot of problems like if you change something um you know does everybody get the same thing um uh, overwriting people's work there's all mm. kinds of issues with that mm. um and also how do you communicate that out to a developer um so the high level version is that you've produced um you know a website where there's components and there's code and all these different things but uh yeah uh design systems are, are 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 popular in in lots of different types of markets
0: so you've you've talked about the kind of basic design system and how how these things evolve over time where where do they go after that basic level you know what's what's the next stage up or where are they heading in terms of improving them
1: uh well in my experience you know we we started with like a some sort of a, a design file with the components and then that gets coded. So this is a, another thing that's very interesting to me about design systems is that it's one of the few topics where designers and developers are on equal footing mm. um, and they get each other because they're talking <laughs> about design debt and tech debt. It's the same thing. You know, they've got a common common cause that bring them together. Um, and so it's uh it's a great way to build relationships uh, you know between different teams. Um, but the, but that next step is to involve a developer to actually code this, these components out um, using CSS or you know SAS and, and and various other things to to make that efficient and easy to maintain. Um, so that's usually the next step. And then beyond that, you know if, if you've got it coded and designed. Uh, how are people going to use it? They've got to learn about it. So Mm -hmm. you need some sort of documentation. Um, And if they start using it, now what? What if they misuse it or they start to abuse (laughs) it and modify it? Well, then there's governance. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of times, you know, we see that when companies get sufficiently uh, far along with their design system, it affects the org chart. Uh, so they'll have a central team. They the, and this is a phrase that you'll hear in a, in a number of companies is that you staff your design system like a product, not mm-hmm. a project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you've got people dedicated to that 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 product, which is the design system, supporting it, maintaining it, evolving it, governing it. Um, and that is like a central team that other remote teams can kind of come back to for design conversations and discussions
0: yeah absolutely and that and that idea of having to evolve your design system over time is i imagine is a very important one because you know your product's going to evolve over time your brand is going to evolve over time you know and so as a result your design system's going to have to do that too um so uh, what mistakes do you see people making a lot when it comes to design systems? Where do things typically go wrong? Uh,
1: things go wrong around uh, communication about the design system and getting people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the easy part, as as hard as it is to create a design system, that's actually the easiest part. Um, mm-hmm. The hardest part is getting people to adopt it, um, and you know just think for a minute, what does it mean to adopt a design system? It means redesigning your product or a whole portfolio of products. Hmm. Um, How does that work? Um, Can you do it piecemeal? There are some ways to do that, but it's kind of hard. Um, Also, you know, how does that translate across platform? Hmm. Um, That becomes technical and tricky. And uh, Nathan Curtis has written a bit about this and talked about this. Um, uh, if you if you go to Medium and you look for Nathan Curtis, you're going to find a lot of great articles about what, what he's done. Um, and, and he's been involved with design systems and helping companies create them for probably longer than anybody else that I know of. Uh, but he um, often creates like a middle layer, like an XML file that will translate SAS into, you know, like iOS and Android code. So that design system can be deployed across different places. Um you know uh, one one mistake that i have heard that that people make a lot is the not versioning mm-hmm. um and so versioning the the design system allows you to carefully roll into something without breaking a ton of stuff across the the company um and uh in we were mentioning the design systems handbook on designbetter.co earlier Katie Seiler Miller uh, at Etsy, she talks about that a lot, um, and she knows from experience that you know not using versioning creates just a
0: hairy, crazy mess. <laughs> I think that's generally true in most situations, isn't it? That's really? right. That's right. Um, going back to what you were saying about multiple devices or across devices, I mean, how do you how do companies typically deal with that in their design system? Do they do they from a kind of visual design perspective rather than necessarily a coding side, are they trying to create almost separate design systems for each of these different platforms? Or are they, are they trying to create a consistent design language? And how do they do that? Well, um,
1: it's a little tricky because, you know, if you're trying to create a design system that works for uh, like a, a, a web, web app um, product... Yeah. Um, how does that translate into iOS where Hmm. components are, are very different. And in fact, you know, every few years, Apple does a major iOS rewrite. And a lot of times those components kind of change. Um, and then of course, Android has a different style as well, where certain menus and interactions happen are different than iOS. So there's with a design system, we want to create a unified experience, um, but it doesn't mean that everything is the same. Mm. So uh, there are places where you need to bend and think about, okay, we're going to do this differently for Android um, than we would for iOS. And we're going to do this differently on iOS than we would for the the web app itself. So mm. you know, paying attention to what those differences are and not trying to make those um, conform exactly across the board is key. You can keep the spirit of a design pretty well, like typography, hierarchy, color, um, you know, g- general like form um, can be consistent, but uh, there are some details that have to shift.
0: I mean, that's actually a really interesting area, that whole area of, of uh, you know, flexibility and cons- uh, versus consistency, and mm-hmm. you know, for example, as I, I mentioned, universities earlier, we work a lot with in the higher education sector, and, and one of the things that inevitably happens there um, is that you know, different projects that come up for a digital team within a university may have very different branding. You know then It might the business schools in universities always seem to want their own branding, or you know, there's a particular um, research project that is being done collaboratively across many different universities, and that's got its own branding. And all of these things need to be built. And when you're building with a, a design system, it can feel potentially quite constraining. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of. Uh, of of consistent you know forcing consistency across that and that's actually one of the reasons why i quite like bbc gel because mm. that kind of demonstrates how you can have flexible different visual appearances while still keeping consistency in certain areas have you seen other examples of that or is that a relatively unusual problem no it's
1: it is a common problem and it definitely right. makes things a lot more difficult um i mean that's essentially what material design is trying yeah. to do yeah is uh you know sort of like the the mothership of design systems uh is trying to be consistent and provide some really good building blocks that can be tweaked i mean if you look at the the color palette um, for material it's huge it's just massive it doesn't look like some uh you know very concise branding <laughs> guideline of, of, uh, of a narrow set of colors for consistency it's It's really broad because it, they're trying to create flexibility hmm. in that system. but um, you're right that when you get to a certain scale, um, if you have a big portfolio of products, you want some you want the things to feel like they are of the same family, but they're hmm. not exactly you know uh, the, the same system altogether.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh what the one last question I wanted to ask you I think at, at this stage was uh, was around uh, at what point does a design system become valuable, right? So what I mean by that is it very much depends on the size of your organization. You can, you can understand, you know, if, if you are the scale of the BBC, for example, or the UK government or whoever else, that absolutely a design system makes sense because of the enormity of what they're trying to cover. But a lot of the people listening to this won't be working at organizations of that size they'll be working at much smaller organizations do, having a design system does that still make sense at that kind of scale and when does it kick in and is it a suddenly a a kind of a, a line from one to the other if that makes sense or is there a way of of maybe do, trying it a little bit you, you, you yeah. get what i'm it's a really right. poor That's, question well, <laughs> no, <it's
2: laughs> not. i want to kind of add to that because you know, is there a design system light, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, because if you're, if you're, you know, you said, said earlier, Aaron, that, you know, to get this thing to work properly, you need to have a team looking after it. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like quite a lot of our clients are just getting into the idea of having their own digital team. That's so, right. Uh, so to have another team to look after something like this is way beyond them. Um, but these are quite successful companies. So it's how, how do we where's the line where where it's worth doing or is there a is it is it not a kind of there is a design system or there's not a design system is there kind of somewhere in between.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good good question. Um, so in my experience the the need for a design system is connected to, uh, iteration. If you are working on something and iterating on it on a regular basis, a design system is going to pay huge dividends. Mm. Um, if you are not iterating on it so much, you know, you're going to optimize for, uh, in, in a pretty extreme way and probably not get the maximum amount of value. So you, you, Here, engineers, they talk about premature optimization. And so if you're a startup and you're just, uh, you are iterating, and this sort of contradicts what I'm saying here, but if you're a startup and you're uh, working on a product and you're just trying to get the thing off the ground and get people using it and understanding it and you're learning so much, you don't quite know what that core component needs to be just yet. You probably know some of them, uh, but there are some things that are still being figured out. Um, and if you invest a ton of time in creating a design system, when you're just trying to get the the product right, you probably, you know, your, your priorities are are mixed up, Mm -hmm. but when you get the product to, it it starts to be a bit more mature and you start to, um, refine that product and you're going to continue to iterate and add new features, new things, perhaps there's new product lines coming. Um, that's when, you know, if, a design system really is going to have a lot of value. Um, I can tell you, I know exactly when a design system became clearly a, a need at MailChimp, and, uh, and and this is an embarrassing story to share, but uh, <laughs> we had been working on this product on MailChimp as basically me and one engineer. I think maybe we had a couple engineers by that time, but the, the head engineer. And some new CSS stuff had come out, we could do drop shadows we could do like gradients all kinds of stuff and i continued to add to and refine try to make the, the product look like you know the future like a, a not like a 37 signals app mm. and uh, at base camp at the time mm. and i got to the point where we deployed the code and we went to look at it in internet explorer and half like half the pages were unstyled and we were like, what the hell is causing this? Yeah. Well, it turns out Internet Explorer at the time truncated, uh, it was something like 255K of CSS, anything after it would truncate, or if you had a certain threshold of selectors. Right. And so it was so heavy. I had so much <laughs> tech debt from this and so much design debt uh, from overindulging that we had to roll back and <laughs> just strip out a bunch of stuff. And so clearly at that moment, I was like, okay, we need to, we didn't call them design systems at, back then. Nah. We called it, you know, like a component library. We need to, yeah. to, to reduce the weight here. So, um, hopefully no one on, uh, none of your listeners ever experienced that embarrassing moment, but, uh, <laughs> it was crystal well, clear.
0: That is one way to make the decision, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. hit a crisis point that can often, you know, especially when it comes to, to management as well, to persuade them, hit a crisis point, let it go horribly wrong, and then, then they'll suddenly be on board. That's terrible <laughs> advice. Absolutely terrible advice. advice. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. All right.
2: I've um, got one more question. I, Okay yeah go for yeah, it I, I, it just occurred to me while I was thinking about mm. sort of how can you sell this into kind of like a, a smaller company a company that doesn't have you know tons and tons of designers and developers in in uh, mm. within within their kind of ranks um obviously a lot of their design work involves print as well so can a design system involve print elements and can can it can it sort of deal with an entire company's design aspects Mm. if you like sure yeah
1: Yeah. before there were design systems on on, you know on digital products there were you know brand books in fact Mm. when we Mm. go back and we look at inspiration for design systems uh the apple hig uh nasa's Mm -hmm. brand guidelines oh yeah uh massimo Vignelli's brand guidelines Mm. for the new york subway system so that's that's all a design system. You know, it's interesting as, as people in the web space. It's a it's a lot of navel gazing where we think, oh, we're we're tackling a brand new problem that no one else has seen. Yeah, it's actually been done quite a few times
2: before in, in different capacities. Yeah. I guess where I'm coming from is like how 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 can you kind of merge the two so that. Mm. They're they're looked after in a single place. I'm I'm just spouting this off the top of my head. No, I Um, think that's good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's interesting. And you could have a website where your design system Mm. lives and it also Mm. has branding guidelines, print guidelines. Yeah. It's
0: interesting. One of the, one of the clients I'm writing, um, an ebook for a client at the moment, um, that they want to give away. And the the client is a company called Frontify. Um, Mm. I think they've sponsored the show actually in the past, um, and their their product is very interesting from this point of view because they do exactly that, Marcus. You know, okay. you could you could easily host a design system um, on Frontify because it's got you know pattern like you know you can put pattern library information components in there, all of that kind of stuff. But they don't stop there. You can also add your style guide into that, which is both. You know your your web based mm-hmm. um, material, but also your style guide for print as well. It's mm-hmm. got a brand c- portal where they you can put up all the brand information and media libraries and all of that kind of stuff. So they're trying to do exactly that: create a kind of one stop shop for all of all of this kind of information, which makes a lot of sense to me. Well, there it is, the, uh, yeah. and they my, just and- my question is answered. Mm. And, and uh, of course, Envision is doing
1: that with Design Systems Manager. Uh, yes, you know. of course
0: you are. I forgot oh. that. Oops, and sorry. And it ties into
1: <laughs> your your design environment, your prototyping environment. You've got Design Systems Managed. And uh, we acquired Brand AI last year and folded them into the, to our, our products. Um, and so you can deploy mm. your design systems uh, to a website as well for everyone to see. And there's version control. There's, you know. All of those those problems I was describing earlier, we have seen those firsthand, uh, and uh, that's that's built into the product.
0: And it's just so beautifully done as well, the way that um, you, with the design system manager, you've got the code and the design. It's all sitting side by side. It's all, you know, managed and uh, versioned and all of that kind of stuff. It is, it's very impressive, and I feel really embarrassed that I forgot <laughs> to mention it. Oh, that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> Not as embarrassed as what I've got to do now. Actually, it's fine because I've got to talk about my, my second sponsor, which, from a certain point of view, could be perceived as a competitor for Envision. But I maintain that they're not right. So the 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 second um, sponsor for today is Balsamic, which is a wireframing tool, and you could argue that so is Envision. Um, but actually, I think there's a fundamental difference between the two. That Envision is very much aimed at digital professionals. It's, it's aimed at, at people that are, you know, creating, uh, you know, uh, uh, working prototypes and are, you know, managing design systems and, and you know, creating um, uh, more complete user interfaces. Well, what is really interesting about Bissamik is that they're not trying to reach that audience at all. They're not interested in appealing to people like me, for example. They're more interested at appealing to our clients, our managers, our stakeholders. It's a tool for non-digital professionals to express their ideas to so that you've got a better understanding of what they're thinking, what they're trying to achieve, um, so that as you go into a project, you know, and you start working with, with a tool like Envision, you've got a set of ideas from the various stakeholders about what their expectations are. Now, I know they're not design experts, they're not um, the hopefully going to be the people making the final design decisions, but it is useful to know what's going on in their heads. Now, sure, they could use pen and paper to do that, um, and pen and paper is an excellent tool for, for getting down those initial ideas. Um, and Balsamic has very much tried to recreate that simplicity of pen and paper, and in some ways I think they've they 've succeeded because you can literally just drag and drop components into pages you know um which in a in a way that's actually simpler than having to draw it all out yourself and of course you can move things around and you can uh, place things in different places and try out different stuff so it's a really good tool for like um if you're running a workshop and you want to engage the people in the room you know that many people find it quite difficult to draw their ideas while something like bursamic is just drag and drop um, and of course, with pen and paper, if you're in a workshop environment, it's quite hard to to change what you're doing and try something different. While balsamic can be instantly updated, right? so and then of course if you're remote like we were discussing earlier you know pen and paper only really works when you're in the room together if you're working remotely then balsamic is a great collaboration tool so don't think of it as a as a a tool for professional designers and developers like many of the people that are listening to this show really it's a tool for the stakeholders that we're interacting and dealing with so anyway you can give it a go yourself um you can get three um it comes with a 30-day trial anyway but um, if you decide that you want to sign up, if you when you sign up, if you um, and you enter all your billing information, if you enter the code balsamicboag, you'll actually get your first three months of free, which is even better. Um, and you can do that by going to balsamic.cloud. So there we go. Um, so we've 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 talked about design systems, and and um, Aaron has already shared a load of great resources. Um, there are a couple that that I also wanted um, to point you out as well, um, just to um, you know, so you've got a bit further reading that you can do if you want to get into this a little bit more. I wrote a post on this myself quite a long time ago that I have updated a little bit more recently that you might want to check out, which is how to create a pattern library and why you should bother. Um, I'm still a little bit out of date. I don't use the cool, trendy words of design systems. I'm still talking about pattern library because I'm stuck in the past. Um, So you can find that by going to boag.world forward slash um, – I've forgotten what the URL is. Pattern library. Uh, Pattern library, yeah. Um, So that's a good starting point. Then, of course, there is the um, design handbook – uh, that has been um, uh, created you know, over the design system handbook that, that um, Aaron was talking about earlier. You can get to that by going to boag.world forward slash design handbook. We also talked, didn't we, about Brad um, Frost's atomic design. If that's interesting to you and that's something that you want to um, find out about, then you can find out about that by going to boag.world forward slash atomic. Um, I would really encourage you to check out the the Envision Design System Manager that we talked about earlier, um, which is now a part of Craft. So if you haven't used Craft, you really need a slap round the head because um, there's there's two reasons for that. Either you're using Sketch, although actually no, Craft is in Photoshop as well, isn't it, Aaron? Uh, sorry,
1: I was muted there.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, it, it's in Photoshop. It, I, I, I was I always thought, I had it in my head, it was just a sketch thing, but it's not, it's in Photoshop as well. So, so I can't, yeah, you just get a slap around the head for not knowing about uh, craft. I was going to give you a slap around the head for not using sketch as well, um, but... Maybe I'm slightly biased over these things. <laughs> so the the final thing that I wanted um, to mention is um, a tool that I came across recently, which looked quite good. I haven't used it myself, but I stumbled across it and wanted to share it, which is a tool called lucid.style. Which is, um, very much like the Frontify tool I mentioned earlier. Um, but it's, it's designed specifically just for creating good design systems. So it's not quite as broad as Frontify. Um, but enables you to kind of organize all of your, your various, um, design systems there as well. So lots of choice available for you there. Um, and lots of things to check out. Um, In terms of where to to start with this, it was really interesting that Aaron talked earlier about start by by creating a UI audit. I've said exactly the same things in my notes. You start by reviewing and identifying um, all the various elements that you've got on the site, um, and then also start to identify common elements that are reoccurring multiple times. Um, and start just looking at ways of combining those similar elements together um, into a consistent library of, of stuff, stuff. I'm so eloquent, aren't I? It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, and then start documenting that and the various variations that you need. Just start having a look at what's there. Give this a go.
2: It is definitely worth your attention. Marcus, do you have a joke to wrap us up with? I do, and with the snow still coming down outside my window, I thought I had to do a snow joke. Um, and I, I, I looked up snow jokes before before the the show started, uh, and they're really bad. But so even by my standards, they're really bad. Why that's <laughs> never stopped you before? <laughs> no, no. They, anyway, this is the best of a bad bunch. What's an egg? It's a what snow house. It's a snow house without a loo. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now, Aaron, please
0: tell me, please tell me that you weren't tra- so traumatized by Marcus's jokes all those years when you were. I love Marcus's jokes. You, They're great. They're great. You haven't. Eee. Please tell me. Please tell me you haven't started doing them on your own podcast. I, I couldn't do him
1: justice. So. Oh, Jeez, I'm
0: for that. <laughs> you're such
2: a. You're such a suck up. Thank you, Aaron. You're most welcome. If you, uh, I'm going to talk over the top of the two of you now. Um,
0: if you want to, if you want to carry on talking about design systems, if this is something you're interested in and um, you'd like to bounce ideas around with other people, then by all means, come and join us in the the Boag World Slack channel, um, and we can talk about it a little bit further there. Um, you can join that by going to boag com forward slash sorry Boagworld.com Forgot my own domain name after 13 years um boagworld.com forward slash slacking um and you can sign up there next week we're going to be talking about how to test your user interface the right way but for now thank you very much for listening aaron thank you for being on the show again it's great to, to talk to you my pleasure and uh hopefully it won't be quite so long before we talk to you I again hope i hope i hope to see you in person soon yeah that'd be nice it's been a while Alright, thank you very much guys and goodbye.